The Passion of Our Lord, Part 3. Those who had arrested Jesus brought him to the high priest's house, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Peter followed him afar off, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus into the, into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So that other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. He went in and sat with the servants to see the end. He was warming himself at the fire they had kindled in the middle of the courtyard. Meanwhile, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking evidence that might make the case for a death sentence, but they could not find any. Many bore false witness against him, but their statements did not agree. Two stepped forward and said, We heard him say, I shall destroy this temple made with hands, and after three days I shall build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their evidence did not agree. Then the high priest stood up, moved to the center, and put this question to Jesus. Do you have no answer? What is this evidence they have given against you? But he was silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest put a question to him and said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God's power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garments and said, Do we still need any witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your opinion? They all agreed that he was deserving of death. Then some of them began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him, and said to him, Prophesy to us, O Christ, who is it that struck you? The guards beat him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. One of the maidservants of the high priest came and saw Peter warming himself. She looked at him closely as he sat in the light of the fire and said, You also were along with a man from Nazareth, that Jesus. Peter denied it and said, I do not know what you mean. He went out to the forecourt. Another maidservant saw him there and said to those who were standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, those standing around said to Peter, Surely you are one of them. You are a Galilean. Your accent gives you away. Peter started calling down curses on himself and swore, I do not know the man. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed a second time. And the Lord turned and looked on Peter. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter broke down and went out and wept bitterly. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes held the court session with all the Sanhedrin. Then they bound him, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Then Judas, who had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, was sorry and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? That is your affair. Judas threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. He went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. They took counsel and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. That is why to this day that field has been called the field of blood. 
In this way was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by the children of Israel, and gave them for the potter's field. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Genesis, the 41st chapter. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant to the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh that what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 22nd chapter. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who gives and who strengthens our faith. The words for our sermon this morning are from Genesis chapter 41 that we have just read. We are just about at the midpoint of our Lenten journey with Joseph. For the past few Wednesdays, we've been hopping, skipping, and jumping our way through the trials and travails of Joseph. But the downside of compressing Joseph's life story into a nice, neat, seven-part sermon series is that the account is reduced down to a speedy series of events. Time gets telescoped. Joseph seems to move quickly and seamlessly from tragedy to triumph. He has some really bad days, but then some really good days. He's down... And then he's up. And of course, we know the story. We know how it ends. And we know that the ending is a happy one. But what this approach to Joseph's life fails to convey is how long he had to wait for the Lord to act. How long he languished in an Egyptian dungeon with nothing and no one to give him hope and encouragement. Tonight's reading ends after Joseph has successfully interpreted Pharaoh's dreams about fat cows and skinny cows. Having proposed a plan to save the world from famine, Joseph now becomes the highest-ranking official in the Egyptian empire. Good news. But... What one might not realize is just how much time had elapsed since Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. That was 13 years earlier. The brothers sold Joseph at age 17, and he entered Pharaoh's service at the age of 30. And although we don't have an exact timeline for what happened when, Joseph certainly spent most of the vast majority of those 13 years in prison. Joseph teaches us the value of waiting, of waiting for the Lord in faith. He is a living, breathing object lesson in the patient waiting that is part and parcel of the Christian life. The Bible is full of such encouragement. From the Psalms we hear this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And from the prophet Isaiah, we hear the wonderful promise that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength with wings like eagles. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that we walk by faith not by sight. We base our hope on what will be, not on the way things now appear. We walk and we wait in faith. Consider how long Joseph had to wait in prison. Joseph spent the prime of his life rotting away behind bars, an innocent man among criminals, 
He surely must have been tempted to take matters into his own hands, to plot an escape, to incite a riot, or to take advantage of the guards with whom he had curried favor. But no, Joseph just waited. He waited for the Lord and for the Lord's deliverance. From this we can only conclude, waiting for the Lord is not weakness, but strength. Waiting for the Lord is not an expression of fear, but of faith. But you well know that our sinful flesh doesn't see things that way. Our flesh despises all forms of waiting. Our sinful nature cannot bear to wait. How well do you wait as the freeway traffic just inches along? How well do you wait over at the local post office or at the DMV in Roanoke or at your doctor's office? But of course, all those things are really superficial, what we call first world problems. Like when the Wi-Fi fails, or when you don't get next day shipping from Amazon. What a bummer that is. But there's a different kind of waiting. A waiting designed by our gracious God to draw us into deeper faith and into greater hope. When we are assaulted by false accusations and persecutions like Joseph was, We should wait patiently for the Lord. When we face chronic illness or chronic pain, we should wait patiently for the Lord. When temptation is about to entangle you, when your employer lets you go, when your savings drain away, when loved ones leave the church and leave the faith, When life overwhelms and you're just barely treading water, wait. Just wait. Don't despair. Don't take matters into your own hands, but do, do place matters into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Wait for the Lord. Don't do what Peter did. Learn from Peter what not to do. Peter had been so bold and brave as he pledged his loyalty to the Lord. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But, as you know, at the first sign of trouble, Peter quickly distanced himself from Jesus. At the first sign of danger to himself, Peter did a little double talk to save his own skin. I do not know him. As Jesus was led away to trial and torture at a moment when Peter should have engaged in faithful waiting, Peter denied the Lord three times. You see, faithful waiting doesn't come naturally to us. It comes, rather, from God himself. For unlike Joseph, we know where things are ultimately headed. We know what God has in store for us. In Joseph's wildest dreams, he could never have imagined he would one day be the most powerful man on the face of the earth, that he, with the help of God, 
would save the world from famine. The Lord gave Joseph more than he deserved and more than he desired. And we know that too. We know that for the sake of his dearly beloved Jesus Christ, the Lord will also give us more than we deserve and even more than we desire. We know that our waiting will come to an end one day and that that end will not disappoint us. The source of all our hope and confidence, the foundation of our faithful waiting, is Jesus. Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus was a true son of Israel. Like Joseph, Jesus sank into the depths and was raised up to new heights of power and authority. Like Joseph, Jesus worked a deliverance for the whole world. A deliverance not just from famine, but from the power of sin and death. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. Jesus is God's beloved Son, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, an innocent man among the criminals. But now God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our lives unfold much like Joseph's life. Not not quickly and seamlessly, but sometimes slowly and with much difficulty and much tribulation. And so we wait. We wait with faith and with confidence in our Savior, for the foundation of faithful waiting is found in Jesus. We entrust to God all our days and all our burdens, for through faith in Jesus our sin is atoned for. Our guilt is taken away. Heaven stands open. For now, like Joseph, We have good days and bad days, triumphs and tragedies. But my friends, we know, we know how our story will end and that the ending will be a joyful one. So when your days in the dungeon of life drag on, wait for the Lord. And what does this waiting look like? Martin Luther summarized it this way. He said that in such times we should conclude this. And let me read what he says. I know that I have been baptized, that I have eaten the body and drunk the blood of the Son of God, that I have been absolved by divine authority, that all my sins have certainly been forgiven me, and that victory over the devil, death, 
and hell has been promised me. What more should I ask for? That is what Joseph concluded. Amen.